Welcome to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, lesbian love coach, Jordana Michelle. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, so you can be best friends who learn and grow together, share dreams together, have adventures together, and share passionate intimacy together, then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com, because it's packed with free resources that can help you. For example, there are free quizzes you can take, including one that will tell you what might be standing in your way of finding love, and another that will tell you what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her. There are free video tutorials you can watch that explain why women do the things they do and how you can navigate the frustrating world of lesbian dating with confidence, even if you're feeling lonely and desperate. There are free guides you can download to learn the secrets of how to avoid rejection, heal from heartbreak, and find epic lesbian love. And there's a free matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is available now on womenwantingwomen.com. And if you want lesbian dating advice from me more often, follow me on Instagram at jordana.michelle. Also, if you love this podcast and you want to help me reach more people, then spread the word by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts telling what you love about women wanting women and why you keep tuning in. And while you're there, subscribe and share it with a friend and let them know that hot lesbians are everywhere. But before we go any further, I have a question. Why do straight women flirt with lesbians? And how do our platonic friendships with women change after we come out? And what's the difference between managing female employees versus managing male employees when you're a girl boss? Well, in this episode of Women Wanting Women, I talk about all this and more with Jean Chu, an attorney, entrepreneur, and active, important part of the New York City lesbian community. You can learn more about Jean at jlc-law.com. But before you do, keep listening for all the wisdom about business, life, and love that she shares with us here. Jean, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Adria. I've been really looking forward to having this conversation with you. Um, we've known each other for years, but I haven't really gotten to pick your brain this way before, so I think it's going to be fun. So before we jump in, why don't you tell a little bit about yourself and everything you've created? Sure. So I run a real estate law firm for about 14 years in New York City and started the practice as a solo practitioner. Now uh, I've got a team of 10 and I've been in the city for almost 20 years now. Yeah. We met when, were you still in law school at the time or just finishing? We were both sort of getting into our law careers at the time. I think we were just finishing law school and probably met through the community of some sort. I think I remember seeing you at an event one night as, as the first time I remember you. It was a New York law school event. But anyway, let's get into just more of some personal stuff. When did you come out? I came out, ironically, I when I first moved to New York and in law school, it was actually probably the first time I met an out lesbian. I must have been 21. So that was around the time when I actually allowed myself 
the, I guess, permission to explore that side and then realize, okay, this is actually my orientation, my identity. So I was about 21. And before 21, had it occurred to you before? Had you like, were you trying to hide it or did you have the, the knowledge about yourself? Yeah, it's so crazy because in hindsight, it's it was so obvious to me. But I think when you're, or when I was younger and I grew up in a very conservative household, my, my parents are uh, from Taiwan, I'm first generation. I'm the oldest in my family as well. We just were not exposed to LGBT gay communities or lifestyles. So even though I always knew I had this attraction towards women, I did not put two and two together and associate that with being gay uh, or being uh, a lesbian. So even though I just felt as though everyone has these feelings about women, yeah. all, all women have feelings about women and I'm supposed to be crushing on men, right? So I just did not uh, associate that with the, the label or the category. Yeah, I had that exact experience starting like, oh, well, I'm supposed to be crushing on men and I just didn't put it together. Um, mm -hmm. How far back, how old were you? How long ago do you remember that happening? I, I still remember watching the Babysitter's Club from the county library and cr crushing on Christy. <laughs> uh, so I don't know, what is that, grade school? You're, you're six, seven years old. So honestly, as as early as I can remember, I, I always had uh, an affinity and attraction towards women. And it was, wasn't until uh, I think I was encountered with an out lesbian and really saying, wait, I'm attracted to this person. What is this experience and this emotion? And how did you meet this out lesbian? Did you start dating her or what? who was, like, how did it um, happen that you- He was uh, actually a law school uh, classmate. Yeah. We were friends. We did not start dating. And then, so what happened? Then how did you start exploring that? What'd you do? Well, since I had first moved to New York at the same time, I mean, New York City, we're so fortunate that this is a city that's so queer friendly and you can literally go to a gay bar by yourself. So for- first few months before I even came out to myself, I actually went out to a bunch of lesbian bars, Henrietta's, Stonewall. Actually, there were a lot of other bars that were open at that time. I can't remember. Um, so I would go to these lesbian bars by myself and make friends in that way. So it was, yeah, it was a little bit, it was a little daunting, but in a way I was really on a mission to figure out if this is how I identify. Yeah, I had the same experience. I would, I, I, I kissed a girl for the first time at Henrietta's. Had you ever kissed a girl before you came out? I kissed a girl when I studied abroad in college. And even then, it was just very, uh, I didn't associate it with any type of orientation, right? It was more just a, okay, that's interesting. But I think a lot of my female friendships before I was knowingly gay to myself even were always laden with a lot of emotion, almost over emotion, right? Compared to platonic female relationships. And was it mutual or were you left feeling like you wanted more of them than they ever wanted of you? Almost always the latter. It was almost always, I think because, you know, there's a level of self-awareness, I think now, even uh, navigating life as a les out lesbian, I'm sure you encounter people who are not out or you meet women that are curious and you start to have or for me, I, I realized I started having some self-awareness of what was actually ideal uh, partner or person to date for myself. But when I didn't have that self-awareness that, okay, I'm an out lesbian or I'm a gay person, you're just going by pure 
reactivity, pure sort of the chemistry piece, which now that I'm almost 40, it's a big journey of learning which part of that chemistry is actually intuitive and which part is from, you know, past traumas that you have to resolve in a way. Yeah, it definitely takes a long time navigating what's actually good for us and then learning how to be attracted to that as opposed to being attracted to women who are wrong for us or looking for love in all the wrong places. Yep. And um, I found that when I was younger and didn't yet know I was a lesbian, but still in the back of my mind, subconsciously longing for lesbian love, mm-hmm. I always wanted a little bit more for my female friendships than they were able to give back to me. Mm-hmm. And those were frustrating times. So you said that you were, you had a similar experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Did you end up coming out to your parents? And if so, how'd they take it? Yeah, they... I, I still remember, I think it was maybe two two years after I came out to my friends, so still in my early 20s, I came out to them and prepared my, I guess, my speech, and I had prepared for any kinds of questions that could they could possibly ask, and I told my siblings first that I was going to do it. It was when I was home from law school over Thanksgiving holiday, and right before that, they were dropping me back to the bus stop to take it back to New York. And I think I, I wasn't even comfortable enough to say I'm gay or I'm a lesbian. I think I just said, your suspicions are correct. Because <laughs> my mother had asked my sister, is Jean gay? And when my sister told me that, I said, okay, maybe I should come out to them. So I couldn't even say gay or lesbian. I just said, your suspicions are correct. And believe it or not, the one question my mother asked me was, do you still have your lady parts? That's so interesting. I wonder, do you remember, do you know what it was that would have made her think that in the first place that she asked her sister in the first place? I had on their last visit to New York, I had actually started introducing them to my queer friends, my lesbian friends, and some of them are more masculine, more butch presenting, yes, masculine presenting, more, you know, butch looking. And I think when she saw that, it was very, she was a little puzzled by it because in their culture, it's, you know, women dress and look a certain way. I also cut my hair. I had very long hair, cut it super short. I've only known you with short hair, but I also would qualify you as one of the most feminine lesbians I'm friends with. Um, so it doesn't matter, you know, how long your hair is, you still present as very feminine. So it's interesting that your parents, but I guess seeing you surrounded by obviously queer humans made them wonder if, I guess, if that was, if your association meant something about it. So that's interesting. I also couldn't use the words when I came out to my parents. Really? I said something like, um, I think I was like, well, you know how I have been dating, how I date guys. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Like that's no longer. (laughs) I don't think I said no longer. I was like, I'm going to be dating girls now too. Um, It's hard to get the words out. Yeah. How did it feel? It was hard to say. I mean, it was terrifying. My dad right away was like, I knew there was something weird about you and Tracy because there had been this girl in college that I was in love with. Yeah. So that was his first reaction. My dad always kind of suspected about me, but my mom never did. And it was really hard for her to take it because she didn't suspect it. So your mother suspected it. How did they take it? Let's go back to that. You know, my my dad pretty much didn't really talk about it and which is sort of his MO when it comes to more emotional or even sex with dating was never even a topic of conversation. Um, I think that also just falls within culture and whether or not you're gay, straight, just dating in general. They're not very PDA as well. So affection and stuff like that was always different. And my mother, for a few years after they were still, my mom mainly would still try to impose dating men 
upon me or saying, hey, a friend's son, blah, 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 or you know, should try to meet this person. And at some point, I think I started realizing, hey, I, I got to speak up about this, right? It, it used to be something I would ignore and avoid. And eventually I would sort of, in a frustrated way, speak up and say, look, I'm gay. You know, I'm not, I'm dating women and that's not going, I never say never, but it's unlikely that will change. Yeah. And it's frustrating when they're speaking to you from a place of trying to change you. Mm -hmm. And I I can see that being really frustrating. But was she mad at you about it? I mean, other than trying, it sounds like she kind of took, it sounds to me like they kind of took it well, relatively speaking, and compared to how it could have been. I I have to say, yeah, compared to other stories that I've heard of either friends or just, you know, distant narratives. Or even mutual friends of ours. yeah, Yeah, mutual friends even. They definitely took it well. They are very accepting of my partner that you know I mentioned her status now but they're very accepting of her and but they still have statements that I think are driven out of fear because I'm sure any parent really just wants their kid to feel safe and secure but I think the fear is really driven from their own perception of what it means to be gay and what do you think they're afraid of when when they get afraid for example my wedding photo shoot I'm in a silk suit and my partner was in a dress and I sent it to my folks. This is just an, as an example. This is recently too. And my dad said, be careful of how, you know, what you're wearing. Because I was basically, I guess, the male, quote unquote, the male in the relationship or the, the masculine one because of what I was wearing, a, a pantsuit. Mind you, it was a lavender silk suit. <laughs> so. Yeah, there's almost nothing you could do to appear masculine, Gene. I'm sorry. <laughs> But it's it's their uh, perception of it, and actually was it, I observed that I was feeling really frustrated by that response. Even you know now I'm almost forty, and this is it's basically almost twenty years in. You know, so and were they at your wedding? Uh, it was a court wedding, so only we only had one witness, but they did call to Facetime and full support. Of, of yeah. The folks. yeah. Right. So it wasn't like some big wedding they were, where they weren't there. Yeah. And when you sent the outfit, was um, was that their first time seeing it or was it a more recent thing where you were just sending it and they were? I think it was the first time seeing it, but they, yeah, it was pro- probably first time seeing the outfit and the photo shoot and my partner was very feminine presenting. So I think uh, in their minds and, in, and I, I can't speak for obviously straight people in general, but I think in my parents' very heterosexual mentality, they view things as very, it's either masculine or feminine, right? So the idea of mixing the two is very alien to them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense and can sound frustrating, but they've been otherwise supportive of your relationship and kind Mm -hmm. with your partner. That's really, really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, What are your thoughts like from starting and coming out and starting to meet women? Like what were some of the things you learned on that journey and some things that might've surprised you or that you weren't expecting? I think because you and I came out around the same time and I'm assuming it's after, after college years, right? Where I assume my, co- my college years were very much packed with social socializing, drinking and partying and kind of the standard. And at that stage I was quote unquote straight. And I think the biggest surprise when I started dating women is realizing that I had to approach them. <laughs> and, <laughs> Um, being so used to going to straight bars and basically men, you know, doing all the, I don't want to say work, but the, the approaching and conversation starting, taking initiative. I think going to the lesbian bars, it, it felt like homecoming dance, right? Where you've got 
women on one side, they're sending their friend to talk to you. So the, the dating back then, if you're meeting women out, was very, very different compared to uh, my experiences at these straight bars with men. <laughs> That's interesting about sending friends out. So do you think then from your perspective that a lot of the dating happened like with groups of friends where you're kind of kind of your friends leading you into it a little bit? You know, it's interesting because in my 20s, and we were probably seeing each other at the same parties too, right? At that time, I think the apps were not as popular. I, I remember the apps. Yeah, I never used them back then. It wasn't the same. Yeah, it was. I think it was Match.com or you know, OkCupid. And it wasn't an app. It was a website where you could. Well, oh, right, it's a website. You're right. It was like a Facebook profile of some sort. Yeah, that's what it was like. Yeah. yeah. So the first good what five or six years in our twenties, it was all meeting people through friends. So a lot of the women I dated were through friends or a friend of a friend. And now it's totally different. Yeah, it's all apps. I mean, the last few relationships I've had have all been through apps, but it's also because I don't go out as, as often, right? So yeah, we did get older and we were yeah. seeing each other all the time in our 20s in the scene, but I probably know. everyone who's out in the scene right now is also or in their 20s. 20s so. Exactly, exactly, yep. Do you have, what apps have, have worked the best for you? I met my partner on Hinge. I met my partner on Bumble. And actually, the last few relationships I've had were also on Bumble. Yeah, Bumble's a good one. I had good experiences with Bumble. On yeah. And her is also pretty good. I've never used her before. But I, I've also I think in the first few years when OkCupid, I don't think it was an app, you're right. It was just a website. But OkCupid, I met a few relationships off or women that I've dated off that website as well. I don't think it exists anymore, though. I don't even remember which ones they were back when I used to use the website versions. It wasn't as good of a user experience. I think the app somehow with the swiping, it just works uh, a little bit. I don't know. It's more convenient. <laughs> I don't know. It feels like it just is better at connecting people, but maybe that's just my own bias thinking because I met my fiance on, on, on an app. So. So, so one of the different things about lesbian dating being that you have to go approach women, was there anything like any skills you had to learn that you didn't have before in terms of doing that? Was like there any resources inside yourself you had to grow or call upon to get there? Oh my gosh, I, I have the worst and I, and my friends and everyone can attest, I have zero game. I have, I have no, I, there's no suaviness about the way that I approach women. I think I'm just very, I tend to communicate more directly when I'm interested in somebody. And I think it maybe sometimes it actually loses any kind of allure, but it's just how it's how I am. And I, I think actually now in my older years, I appreciate that. And I realize I actually want someone to be just as direct in response. And I think that's a challenge with a lot of women were not necessarily taught to be direct, right? We sort of learn to speak indirectly about our wants and our desires. And so I think I did, I mean, I struggled with, with dating in general, and I'm still not a, a great dater per se, because I think I'm just very, I don't want to say open book, but I'm, I'm willing to say what I feel in the moment. And not everyone necessarily would respond to that, right? So in terms of skills, I don't know if I had any, just being authentically myself, whether or not that turns on or turns off somebody. Well, you might be lucky because probably people who are avoidant won't like that because if they're going to be turned off by someone who is openly attracted to them, that's probably a bad yeah. match anyway. Totally. But I think as we were talking earlier, right, about 
picking people who are good for us. I think if you could just play no games, show someone that you like her, that should be a compliment. And that should be someone who likes you back. That's awesome. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I like you. You like me. We, now that's something to work with. A thousand percent. Yeah. Whereas yeah. when we were younger, I, I think pursuing women who move, who, who didn't, who would be turned off my, by my directness. That was my own mistake. I, I, that, mm-hmm. That's a red flag right there. Right. That that person isn't interested enough in me. You know, that's the key where you said we're identifying that that experience is a flag, right? Rather than that experience means you should chase more. Um, and I think that is a difference actually in the 20s versus 30s, you know, into 40s. Yeah. One of the best things about when I met my partner was that she was just I felt like I could tell she was open to be serious, open to being serious about me. Mm-hmm. And that actually at that point in my life was a huge turn on like, okay, great. Someone yeah. I could actually um, build something with here. Yeah. Well, um, you attract, you attract what you're ready for. Right. So. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any thoughts on lesbian relationships from your experiences with them of how they're different from straight relationships or things that have surprised you over the years? I l- absolutely love lesbian relationships. And, and it's not just because obviously it's really the only relationship I, I, I know or experience, but I just think you bring two empathetic creatures into a relationship. And this is not to say men can't be, but um, obviously women tend to be, I think, more in touch with their emotions. And there's a rawness to it, which can be very intense. And so I think it is balancing trying to find a person or a partner where you can carry that journey together and to actually see really, really see that person's evolution, right? Or, or I feel like, I honestly, I haven't really dated men, so I can't, there's no comparison for me. But I just think that the the depth of women is fascinating to me. It just feels like there really are layers and um, meeting someone who's curious enough to dive into those layers with you is a magical thing. Yeah, I think it's so beautiful. I, I love, I feel very privileged that I get to be a lesbian, that I get to love women the way that I do. But like you, the last time I had a relationship with a guy, it was so long ago that I almost, I almost don't feel like I have any qualifications to yeah. speak to it and, and how it might be different. What I also think is interesting about lesbian relationships is they're kind of just an exaggeration or an extension of just female friendships or female relationships. Curious if you have any thoughts on, on, female friends, getting along with women, stuff you've learned about women. It's so interesting because I've, my friendships have always been so organic as have my, my attraction, or I guess my sexual or romantic relationships with women as well. I've never been so, I guess, intentional in a way. I, I, so I think when I finally realized that I was gay in my early 20s, there was definitely a shift with my platonic relationships with, with women versus my romantic relationships with women. How did it shift? Well, I think it's a self-awareness piece, right? So I, I was then able to understand, oh, I actually have a crush on this person. So I may be taking certain things more personally from this friend who I thought was I was framing as a friend and have, like you said, the expectations, then realizing, wait, actually I desiring a romantic relationship with this person. And it definitely changes things. As soon as you add romance into it or sexual chemistry or sexual attraction, there there's there are different expectations. So what's interesting now is that I've never really breached actually I can probably say I never really breached that if you're platonic, it's platonic. If it's romantic, it's romantic in a way. And I know I have a lot of friends where that's an overlap, right? Um and for some reason I haven't organically kind of had that overlap before. 
It's so funny how similar our experiences have been. I've known you for so many years. We haven't really like talked about this before. Talked about this, yeah. But yeah, I found that when I first came out, I all of a sudden it was like things things became so much more clear. It's like, oh, I'm actually attracted to this person. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, before coming out, I didn't know the difference. And so I felt as though there were certain women I'm attracted to. And I thought those were the ones I, I, and because I wanted a close with closeness with them, I thought that that was me wanting to be friends with them. Mm-hmm. Yep. But once I came out, I realized, no, that's just me being attracted to them. And then every other woman on earth yep. is available for friendship. Right. Yeah. It's easier not to conflate the two. And actually I, I do know, and I actually have dated people who are not necessarily out gay or they're on the spectrum of sexuality. And I've experienced this even before I was out, but I do think that even, you know, straight women or actually any women, any woman probably has similar experiences from friendships where it's not, a, it's not necessarily romantic or sexual, but there's just a little bit of that you know, girls get girl crushes on people all the time. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's a little bit of that spark. But with lesbians, it's a little, you kind of, like you were saying, you don't really cross that line with friends because it's it's a mm. lot more, as a lesbian, you know, just don't go, you don't yeah. kind of go yeah, there with your friends necessarily. Right. Unless you're going to date them. Unless you want to. Like the way that I, that I have my straight friends sometimes I know flirt with me, but just because they're being flirtatious, not because mm-hmm. they really want to date me, Correct. the way that they're doing it, I wouldn't put that same energy towards a lesbian friend of mine because I don't want to, exactly. it's just, I don't want to confuse things. Whereas them, they're just, it's sort of just a way of speaking. Exactly. But I wouldn't say the same back to them. Mm-hmm. It's funny how that is. Do, did you ever find that with straight women kind of treating each other differently than, than lesbians that are trying to maintain their friendship boundaries? It's funny because when I first came out, and again, for context, right, early 20s, and my roommate at the time, who's this beautiful straight woman, and she was like, why aren't you looking at me when I'm coming out of the shower? You know, So if anything, I felt that women, straight women, as soon as I came out, were actually desiring attention from me, more so to validate themselves. Because it's also that age group, where right? you're like in your 20s, and it was a lot about attention-seeking behavior. And I felt that my, my experience tended to be more straight women flirting with me almost to, to validate their attractiveness or validate their physical attributes. Like, oh, this it's easy for a guy to be attracted to me, but a lesbian woman, you know, something like that. So, but I'm not experiencing that so much now in my older years. I think that was a youthful uh, experience. I can completely relate to everything yeah. you're saying. That's really funny. Yeah. And I also, so you're saying you never had, like you never crossed the line with a friend of yours. Nothing like that ever happened where... It went from friendship to relationship. For me, it only happened once. Yeah, I can't say it's happened from friendship to relationship. Yeah, I think because if if it ever happened, there's already maybe an attraction in place. So it's already starting off in a romantic phase rather than a, in a platonic phase. Um, I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah. And do you think there's a difference between the friendships you have with straight people versus your lesbian friends? Do you think it has a different quality to it? I don't think the quality is different. I think that for sure some of the relatability, right? But that's that's natural, right? If you just have, there's something about, I feel much more comfortable and I enjoy my time around my queer friends. And there's sort of this unspoken bond because you're already part of another subset community, right? Um, a lot of my friends tend to be women, even even my straight friends. I have very few male friends just organically. It's not intentional in that way. So 
I think there there are differences, but I don't think it's necessarily a quality um, at all. I think it's more of if I wanted to go out and have an entertaining night, I'm generally going out with my queer friends rather than my straight friends. But it's also just a lot of my straight friends, they're single women and they want to go out to these straight bars that I sometimes are very fratty for me to go to. <laughs> yeah, that's harder to enjoy. It's the last thing I want to do is go to like a fratty bar. Yeah. Yeah, no, I hear you. Do you have advice for women who are navigating a big city lesbian scene and lesbian dating and stuff like that? I think just getting out there and in hindsight, it's funny because I, I, you, were, you were asking me that question about when I first came out, what did I do? And I remembered I went out to these lesbian bars by myself. And actually now in my older years, that might even seem intimidating or daunting. But I think that I am navigating sort of a newly separated life. So in a way, I'm forcing myself to do those things again, not necessarily going out by myself, but just saying yes to more things I want to typically do. Yeah, breakup times, um, separation time, it's a lot about having to just be loved up by your friends, be surrounded by people, get out a lot. Mm -hmm. Are you doing just lesbian events or what um, what kind of ways are you keeping busy? All types. I mean, I'm keeping busy with on my in my professional life. I'm I'm doing different networking events. In my personal life, I'm just making sure I'm being more social. And um, honestly, it's also just a lot of getting to know myself again, right? Or getting to know yourself again. And I think there's no better way to also get to know yourself. It's easy to know yourself at home by yourself in silence or whatever you're doing at home in your daily routines, but then to also get to know yourself when you're out at a bar or out at a restaurant or taking yourself out to eat, like things like that. I think those are all different ways where you're courting yourself. So those are things where I feel New York City is so such a great platform to do that because there's so many people around. It's one of the few cities you could actually be by yourself and be with a bunch of people at the same time. So that's kind of what I'm doing. And even it doesn't even have to be going out to a gay party or a gay place, but I think just doing things that would typically intimidate you or that you might say no to. I'm turning no's into yeses, right? Whenever people are asking me to do things or inviting me to things. Yeah, that's so important. Are you learning anything new about yourself that, or rediscovering anything you had forgotten about yourself? Like when you said you're seeing yourself in these social situations, walk me through that. Like, what does it show you about yourself? How how are you seeing yourself in that light? It's funny because I think, and obviously you're you're also a lawyer, but I think from we're very right brains, probably as I definitely am or have been a control freak, and I think in my work it serves me well. And I think that in my personal, and actually it's leading into my professional too, of learning to surrender a bit more and learning to receive. I think it's hard for women in general to ask for help. And I'm still not great at it, but just sort of figuring out, well, what does that even sound like? And what does that look like? There are ways I think we're in our heads, we're saying, okay, I know how to ask for help, but there's the way, the way it's actually framed is still sort of a, I kind of don't need it, but if you could do this, that'd be great. Right. So, and is that in your personal life or your professional life? It's both. It's both. It's, it's actually quite amazing when I observe it. Well, how there are so many parallels with my business and my personal life too. I've been running my practice for 14 years. I don't have a business partner. And it was one of those things where, wow, I have a lot of great support roles. And a lot of my relationships have been great support roles. You have great support roles? I have, yeah, I have excellent support roles. And I think it's more about, okay, uh, from a 
partnership perspective, right? Like, are you talking about the 10 people who work for you as the support you have or mentors or? Yeah. Yeah. Like my, my staff that's on the professional side, but even when I was observing more of my prior relationships too, I realized by a lot of supporting roles rather than a partnership role, you know? So I see. So there wasn't someone who was an equal to you. It was like, they were kind of playing the backup dancer. Yeah. That's interesting. Super interesting. Yeah. And so do you think the next time you choose a partner, you would want someone that won't be, that will be more of your equal or do you like it that way? Are you learning that this is just how you want to structure your life or? Well, I think everyone has different desires. And I think through my relationships, I did learn, okay, I do actually want more of an equal and other in certain areas. Right. So, and I think that's not for everybody. I have plenty of friends where that's, and when we say equal, right, there's so many different definitions when it comes to that. And everyone, of course, being, that's not to say that we don't think everyone fundamentally is equal. Right. Right. But I just mean proportionately in terms of proportionately in terms of who has more power and how, yeah. where your attention is being divided between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, something for me that I realized is that I do tend to, I know you say nothing I do can be masculine, but I, I do have. We to make you look masculine. <laughs> to look masculine. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think in my energy, uh, I do think I, I am more masculine in my energy. I tend to show up in that way in my relationship. So when I'm paired with somebody that is maybe like ultra feminine, what tends to happen is you're starting from the middle ground of this like slightly masculine, slightly feminine, but then in the relationship, I then tend to get extra masculine and the other person will get extra feminine or something like that, right? So- Because you like women who are so feminine. I tend to, right, I tend to be attracted to, if we're talking about physical appearances, yes. But so that that's actually been, if anything about a lesbian relationship, that's been an interesting observation that I'm learning along my way too of, okay, there is still in a relationship where two people can have a dynamic. It's not always like you're one masculine energy, one feminine energy, but there are different uh, experiences that bring that out in you. And I've just seen and observed, wow, in these relationships, I tend to to gravitate more towards the masculine. And so if I don't have that balance, I can really tend to go very far into the masculine. Also, because my work, I show up at work every single day, leading, counseling. And so it's a very sort of, I guess, masculine role where I'm, I'm, so that's 90% of my life is, okay, I'm showing up as a real estate lawyer, running a business. And so I think in my personal needing some of that actual masculinity to balance me a bit more. Yeah. And you also mentioned earlier the word controlling in terms of a a personality trait that can come out. I haven't seen that side of you, but I can Mm -hmm. imagine sure running uh, as big a law firm as you do, that's going to come out. And I wonder if that could also play into a partner having more of a backup role if if you're constantly having to take on the position of being so controlling with work and everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think I think I tend to be very outcome focused, and that's where I mentioned like the surrender piece, right? I think in in a personal relationship, a romantic relationship, and in a non professional setting, it it's it's more about the softness, it's more about the the empathy and the compassion, all of which I value with my work. But it's not so outcome focused, right? A relationship is not just hey, let's get to from A to B. A relationship is like hey, hey, I see you, I'm here, right? And and I think that. What I've realized is that in certain relationships, I need to be able to also feel like I can be vulnerable, right? Or, or feel soft. And I'm noticing that that might require somebody who is holds more of that masculine energy in a way. Does that then going to require you to 
be um, attracting a different type of person than you were before? Or do you think it's more about how you're going to shape the relationship once you've met the person? I think it's both. I, I think I've, uh, in a way, I've, I've reframed too of trying to break patterns in a way too, where I actually just had my very first coffee date, like a sober date, not, not just meeting up at a bar, right? And so sort of changing things up where it's, it's more about the connection rather than a physical attraction thing. Yeah. I think changing what attracts people is really, really hard. But when we know we've been choosing the wrong thing, it's, it's super important. Mm-hmm. But it's cool. Have, has it been working out so far? I'm still so new to the dating scene and I, I still love being by myself. So it's a, I think it's, it's working. It's, a, it's working in a way of I'm learning a lot more about myself. So I think that's actually, if anything, like the number one goal and priority right now. And the good thing is that I'm on really good terms with my, um, you know, ex-partner and we're in a, in a healthy place, which is good. Do you have any advice for separating in a healthy, non-combative way? I think it takes two, right? So I think both people have to be willing and realizing that you can, you meet people at different junctures in your life and sometimes you just grow apart and sometimes you grow apart you know, together collectively. And sometimes you grow apart in a separate way. So I think sort of realizing that it's not actually, of course, it's personal, but not personal. And if anything, this is a person I hope to keep in my life forever. It's family, essentially, in a way. But I don't know if I would have been able to do that in my, if you talked to me 10 years ago, right? So I think there's a level of vulnerability in that too, of just saying, look, I see you and I can support you better from where I am now rather than as a partner. Yeah. You're really lucky that you guys are able to separate on such good terms. Were there any, do you have any conversations you recommend people having if they're in that place or any type of communication that was really useful for you? Any tools you guys used um, that others might benefit from? I definitely think, I mean, having a good therapist right, um, is always key. But also, I think for me, it's it's a lot around, it's so easy to point fingers outwards. And I think that really taking note of, wait, how do I actually want to show up as a, even as a friend or as a, another human being in this relationship who's, who's in this person's life? Or how do I want other people to show up in my life? You start to realize, okay, these patterns I'm the common denominator. So it's like, okay, how do I tweak that? How do I actually communicate what I'm feeling? How do I stop myself before I'm feeling like triggered or angry? And are we able to say, let's take a break? I think those are all really useful things. And it it starts from self-awareness, I think, as number one priority. Yeah, that's so important. And have you had, did you been working with any tools to increase your awareness? Like whether it's meditation or breathing or any other tricks for that? Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, not being on social media as much, really being more present in the real space. Um, I think spending time where you really feel like you can draw value, like friends, like close friends, family. Yeah. It's just having a different relationship with yourself. I think it's so easy for us to kind of get, pick up our phones and go on uh, Instagram, right. And go into deep dive. And I mean, obviously crazy, crazy things are happening in the world right now. So you can't ignore some of those headlines, but I think it's just realizing, you know what, my priority is feeling mental health, right? Or my priority is feeling like positive in my own relationship with myself. And once you start framing it in that way, you make different decisions. So 
yeah, I think just being honest with yourself and also just, it's okay to say, Hey, I'm not ready to have a conversation right now. Or I'm, you know, I do, I do want to do that. I don't want to do this. So I think just learning how to communicate more directly with actually what the wants and desires are. Yeah, I love that. And also, as you were talking about focusing on our own mental health, our own energy, in some ways, that's the best thing we can do for the world. Because if we're in a messed up mental state, and then we go out, we can accidentally be rude to people or Mm -hmm. create a whole cascading of bad energy, Mm -hmm. even just by not smiling. 100%. Yeah, I think you can only, you know, be responsible for your own for your own self, right? Your own chaos or whatever it might be or things. So I think other people are also deserving of that, but, uh, you know, you as number one. So it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting though. Cause I think as soon as you share things like that, you'll be, you'll also be surprised around how that authentic, those authentic statements may actually bring out something from the other person as well in all relationships. And I even talk about romantic, right? Friendships or professional. Yeah, for sure. Because everyone's working on their own stuff. And it's such a a relief to be able to pause for a second and connect in that way. Like, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm also insecure about that. Or I'm also struggling with that. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, I had a similar situation. Um, Are the people the 10 people that work for you? Are there are they men? Because I know you said you mostly hang out with women. Do you manage men as well as managing women? Or are they all women that work for you? It's so funny, because it's always been majority women. And right now I have one uh, gay guy who works for me. And all the rest are all women. I also, whenever I can, I try to hire within the community. So I I did have a trans man at one point as well, but they're mostly women. Do you, have you noticed any difference managing men versus managing women? Yes, is the short answer. And I think that with women, I am noticing that women tend to avoid, at least in my experience, avoid conflict more than men. And I do think that men, I hate to make it such a stereotype, but I do think that men take things less personally. So for example, if there's constructive feedback to be given based on an assignment or performance, I think that men are able to take it more in stride or less like as a personal. Right. They can hear it. They can make the change and not feel as though you've attacked them, not feel offended, not feel slighted. Exactly. And I think with my female employees, or even in the past, I've realized I've had to be very intentional about what I'm saying, or I don't want to use the phrase sugarcoat, but for lack of a better term, you know what I mean? So just being a little bit more indirect, I guess, in some of the feedback so that it's not taken personally. And so from a from a work life, I've definitely noticed differences with managing men and women. But you know, I've also had the same experience where I've had men who could not respect me because I was a young female and they're thinking, why am I taking orders from this young female? And the way that they would communicate with me compared to their male colleagues would be completely different, right? And women do the same thing, by the way, towards other women. What have you noticed? Some, I've, what I've observed and noticed is that sometimes women will also tend to communicate or be, communicate more respectfully, maybe to a man than to a woman or the things that they'll divulge to a woman may be different than what they'll divulge to a man, which I, that I can understand. But I think in a weird way, women tend to do the same thing that we complain that men do to women as well. 
Yeah, no, we're our own worst enemy. When you talk about stuff we're divulging or not divulging, do you think it's we're sharing more personal stuff or, or not as willing to share? Because some ways I can see myself talking more openly personally to a female. Mm -hmm. But what are you pointing to when you say that? Yeah, I think that's why I think some of it, it's hard to say, right? Because I think some of it, you just know they're going to relate. They talk about period cramps, like, or you talk about like pregnancy, right? You know, things that only women can experience. But I do think that if we're comparing you know, just genders, gender roles in that same position. If I was a male boss, for example, would this, I mean, I can't even think of ex about an exact example, but would this be shared in the same way? Or maybe it's a method of, of delivery. So there's almost like a seeking of more compassion because it's a woman boss or because I'm, I am a woman boss, but yeah, so I, I, there definitely there are definitely differences. I'm not saying one is better than the other. Obviously, I hire mostly women. I think women are still way more detailed, in my experience, from a support perspective. So they're going to focus on the details for you better than the yeah, and that's what you like about them. Even if you have to be a little bit more, as you say, intentional mm -hmm. with your messaging, yep. and if it's a little bit less easier to just go out and say what you want because you have to mm -hmm. code it in all kinds of gentle. Yeah, but that, that's also it comes out in a different way, right? I think that my my female employees they tend to want to make sure it's all about performance, and I think because as women we've constantly had to almost overperform to achieve the things that we've wanted to achieve. Men tend to get things sometimes handed to them. So maybe they've not had to encounter the need for overperformance. And so a lot of my female, especially younger associates, I've had to remind them, like, be confident. Like, you are a thousand percent in the right headspace, great judgment call, be confident. And actually some of my male employees in the past have actually been overly confident with some of their the, the assignments that they're taking. I had to say, take them down a notch a bit like, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> you know, Let's run that by first together internally before it's shared. So that's it, it cuts both ways, right? So you've been mentoring women a lot. That's really cool. The way that you're able to kind of lift them up, give them confidence, let them know when they're actually in the place where they should be more confident. Um, do you have any lessons from mentoring women that have been helpful that you've learned stuff from? I think that the lessons for, for mentoring women is that a lot of women and even myself included, right? A lot of us want to be seen in, in the workplace. And I think being seen also means a lot of different things, right? So I've had to learn to communicate in a way that is receptive to whoever I'm speaking to as like whichever employee I'm speaking to, like maybe whichever employee I'm speaking to is sort of learning actually what type of feedback is most receptive. It's really learning to adapt in the type of communication. It's almost like the love language that you talk about in, in relationships that also apply in work relationships too. That's so sweet. Yeah. What have you had to overcome in your own personality to be good at, at what you're doing? in your work life? Reminding myself that not everyone thinks like me. <laughs> I think that we view all of us, right? We, we experience and walk through life with one lens and then realizing, okay, there's another lens and there's no, another lens, there's another perspective. And I still find myself in so many different ways at work where I thought I said this three times okay, but it didn't land. If that if that's the case, then I did something wrong in the way I communicated. So I think it's really just, again, refocusing the sort of the query on myself. Like, how did I miscommunicate or how can I better communicate rather than, you know, pointing it outwards, right? And so I think that when I first started hiring people, there's sort of this mentality is very immature way of thinking of like, okay, well, 
you're my employer. I'm now, you know, the boss. Like, I hate that word, actually, because it's just, it assumes some power dynamic, which obviously there is. But as I've had to figure out how to grow the business and staff, you actually realize the best leaders and the best managers are the ones that really do put the other people before them in a way, which can be very tiring at the same time, right? Like having to kind of show up at work at all times in in a place of leadership. But I think that's probably been the biggest shift of learning how to be a manager is actually, okay, it's not people are doing things for you. You're actually doing things for them. And how as a manager, do you put people before you? It does sound like it takes way more self-control. I can see like it, it's, you're not just able to act from your impulses. You have to right. be way more intentional. Definitely way more intentional. I think you have to also realize, okay, in my own personal life, how can I set myself up to be, you know, the healthiest way? Am I actually, I mean, little things, right? Am I exercise? Am I eating properly? Can I, am I getting enough sleep so that I can show up? I, I can, I notice myself if I'm not doing any of those things, I'm showing up very differently at work. Because it's not just my clients that demand attention from me, but it's also my team. So, and it goes both ways, right? So we, we lift each other up in, in different circumstances. But I think it's just being cognizant of, you know what? Okay, maybe I do need a break. And luckily now people are actually really executing on work-life balance. People used to talk about that all the time, right? In our 20s and 30s, you're like, what is work-life balance? Now it's actually valued, I think. And so that's helped a lot too when work needs to get done in the office, but you have to mind the work-life balance of your employees, has that changed from the past? Is, is, are things different from, a, from an own, a business owner's perspective? You know, I think I've been really lucky because the more that I've been transparent about, hey, I care about your work-life, like legitimately care about your work-life balance because I care about my work-life balance, there's actually been more autonomy for my employees. Like I don't have people who are, you know, faking sick days. They they really are dedicated to their work. So, and, and but that wasn't always the case. I think it takes a certain personality too, where there's just, there's trust there. I think there was a point in time when I was just starting out and just learning how to hire people. And I had a lot of distrust in my staff or my employee and it would be like micromanaging on everything and what the kind of environment that that tends to create is that there's also distrust in the in the exchange too so i think now where it's just look i trust you you're an adult i'm an adult you're going to show up when you say you show up and majority of them do i've never really had that had to have that conversation which is good that's so great and just going back to what you were saying earlier that's so interesting about communication and how you speak to people and realizing if you say the same thing several times and they're not, they're not getting it, then it's no longer about them not getting it. The question is, you know, how, how it was communicated by ourselves in the first place. There's a, there's a, a kind of a method called neurolinguistic programming and a quote from one of the founders of it says that the meaning of any communication is the response you get. You know, we're used to thinking of our communications as meaning what we mean them to be. But if you think more of how the other person responds as what it really meant in the first place, it's so interesting because it's really just about, it's understanding that other people have their own interpretation of what we're saying. And it it takes so much more self-control and so much more intentionality. Mm -hmm. I'm not good at this. I don't go through life operating from this way, but I think I'd be so much more effective if I did, Mm -hmm. if instead of 
communicating in ways that feel comfortable to me if everything that came out of my mouth was really measured in terms of getting the, the responses that I'm going for. That, that would be very tiring, I think, to go through life like that too. It would be exhausting. But I think it's just being willing to say, wait, did you hear me? Or, you know, how did that land for you, right? So it's also about just being willing to say, wait, did that land? And I think so many, of, especially at work, it's so frequent where we say something and there's no feedback. You're not asking for feedback for it, right? Or, or I forget to ask for feedback. And so, wait, how did that land for you? You know, what did that mean when I said this? Or did you need a more specific deadline? So there is an element of over-communication. But like I said, it, it can be very exhausting to constantly have to do that as well. Completely exhausting. I want to be mindful of your time, but before we wrap and stuff, are there... Is there anything you just wish every woman knew for herself, for the world, for her own personal success? I think that all women, I don't say all women, but I think we're all just one. Everyone needs or can use like a helping hand, right? There's always, there's always need for support. I think that sometimes we hold things back and even just expressing, hey, I'm here. Hey, I thought about you goes a long, long way. And that applies for personal or professional. And I think a lot of times it's surprising. I'm even surprised sometimes when people say that to me, how much it resonates. So I think it's it's being willing to reach out sometimes when we're a little bit more timid about reaching out. So the takeaway is if you have a friend or a colleague or just every day, remember to send maybe one extra message than we would have send one. Yeah. Thousand percent. Yeah. Send one, you know, hey, I, I was thinking about you or just, you know, something, a thought pops, popped up in my head. And how many times do we just keep that in our, in our minds and never actually reach out? Right. So I think just doing that reach out is, it can be really impactful. It doesn't take that much time. Yeah, absolutely. It feels so good to hear from a friend mm -hmm. or even a colleague or just someone that we respect and to hear that they're thinking about us. Yeah. Yeah. The world would definitely be a better place if more people did that. I know. Yeah. Are there any other questions I should have asked you or thoughts you'd want to share? Anything else that's important? And then, of course, I want to hear where women can find you, you know, your website. and Yeah, no, I mean, this, this is amazing. I mean, I was just mentioning sort of briefly before I speak so much about my work and real estate. It's very rare that I'm speaking about my personal life or just the personal journey. And I, I always learn something in it as well. So thank you for the opportunity. And for my, my website is... JLC-LAW.com. My, all my contact information is on there too. So I'm always happy to talk to folks going through personal or professional endeavors about this. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's so great. I mean, it's, it, um, it's, I'm so grateful that you are willing to speak about your life, about the business that you've created. It's so cool hearing from other really successful women about just the interpersonal struggles and the journey they've been on. So this has been such a great a great gift to me. Thank you so much. I'm really grateful. Yeah, thank you. And we should meet up soon. <laughs> yeah, I miss you. We'll hang out again soon. We should definitely do it. Exactly. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe, share it with a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want lesbian dating advice from me more often, follow me on Instagram at jordana.michelle. Also, don't forget that womenwantingwomen.com is packed with free resources that can help you build your confidence and have more success with dating. 
while you're there, you can book a one-on-one coaching session with me to get my personal support in finding the love you long for. Until next time, keep remembering that hot lesbians are everywhere, that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing. And I'll catch you next time on Women Wanting Women. <laughs>